Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Burns and Gambo starts now. Straight up, two o'clock on this Friday afternoon. Good afternoon and welcome into today's edition of the Burns and Gambo Show here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. My name is Dave Burns, alongside the one, the only, John Gambadoro. Hi, Gambo. Birdsy, what's going on? Oh, you're home, working from home yeah, today. Got hit with a cold the last couple of days, but are you wearing green? You wearing green? You know what? I was, um, you know, one of my wife's bucket list, uh, no, I'm not Irish, so I don't wear green, but one of my wife's uh, bucket list items, she always had a bucket list from the time she was a kid, and we've tried to knock off a whole bunch of them. You know, uh-huh. go, was going to see the Northern Lights and swimming with whales, and just one of them was to be in a bar in Dublin, Ireland on St. Paddy's Day. So yes. a few years ago, we did that. We went to, we went to Ireland, we, we spent uh, some time there, and we ended up um, we ended up in a bar in Dublin on St. Paddy's Day. We went to the St. Paddy's Day parade in yeah. Dublin, yeah. and we're on the street. And the bands and everything going by, and then uh, you know went into a bar for for St. Patty's Day. Sounds fun. In fact, I've seen the video. I've seen the video of you trying um, uh, something. Uh, what was it? Uh, there was it was some sort of alcohol when you were in Ireland, and yeah. the look on your face and and how repugnant how repugnant it was to you, and the look on her face of the amusement of you trying the alcohol was still but, really yeah. really funny stuff. I, I don't know if you still have that or if you could tweet that out. But I if think you that's could, what we were great. At, I, Yeah, I think I could tweet that out. I think that's when we were at the castle, and she made me try sherry. I believe that's what. It, yes, I believe that's what it was. Yeah, yeah. The, the look on your face was fantastic. The look on her face was even better because she... I'll tweet that out. Please please do. Um, yeah. Mitch is wearing green. He's got a Boston Celtics jersey on. Uh, no green for Eric Ruby. Totally forgot. To- I totally forgot, too. I'm wearing a black t-shirt and jeans. It's like I, I completely forgot. I don't think we want to piss off HR today going around pinching people not wearing green. No, and I, I'm pretty sure that's not frowned, uh, that's frowned upon here at the workplace. One last note real quick. I do really appreciate Eric Ruby's updates today. Tune in to see if the Sunday Devils go further than University of Arizona. It's, it's a draw. <laughs> That's twice. That is twice you've made me laugh at your update. Well, I was thinking this. I would if if Arizona State wins this game. Yes, just this game. Who had a better season, ASU or U of A? <laughs> um, if ASU oh, wins this one, it's ASU. It's forks up all the way. You think I, so? I, yeah, I know, I know so. I know so. U of A's. Uh, in some ways, they've already had a worse season than ASU. They got, but they do get to hang a banner. They they they, they were the Pac-12 tournament champions. Whoop de do! They get to look at that and think, what happened that year? Oh yeah, we lost to Princeton, the 15th seed. That's a fair question. If I, ASU wins this game, who had a better season, ASU or U of A? I, I think it's. I think that's the a answer, good poll question. It is. I think. I think the answer is already ASU. That is actually a good question. We'll we'll get the ASU and U of A fans to kind of battle each other on social media. I like that one. We do have a tournament poll question a little bit later. Let's weigh in on our top story of the day here on the Burns and Gambo Show. Burns and Gambo, the weigh-in. Brought to you by Revitalize Weight Loss. It's open. Mancaro had it blocked by a Kogi. J.O. breaking out the eraser. Wow. Wow. That 
was a, that was a dangerous play there. Boy, it sure was. That was the call on Valley Sports Arizona last night with Kevin Ray and EJ Eddie Johnson. Man, that is a risky, risky play by Josh Akogi to end the game. It was a great play, but you better be sure if you're rising up to block a three-point shooter with the game on the line like that, Gambo, and you don't send them to the line. That was a heck of a way for the Suns to end their three-game losing streak. Uh, it really was. I mean, that, and, and you know, we both noticed this. Man, that was a hard game. That was a hard game. Yes, you was. know, you were hoping that maybe if the book played all those minutes in the previous game against Milwaukee that you might be able to, you know, at home take care of business and, and not make it such a tough game. But it came down to the last possession. I mean, Orlando, you can tell that that's a team on the rise. You can tell that the talent they got watching Boncharo and, 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 and Carter and Harris and Bobo like that. They got some talent on that team. And uh, they made it difficult on the Suns. I mean, they, you know, for a while, they had the, 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 the outcome of that game was in doubt. You didn't know if the Suns were going to win it. Glad they got the win. A little bit of a reprieve, you know, sigh of relief type of thing. But it wasn't easy. They still had to work hard, and guys had to play a lot of minutes. Yeah, there were multiple times in the first half of that game that I thought for sure we were going to be in here talking about a four-game losing streak, that we were going to be in here talking about panic buttons and how far are they going to fall. There, there was just an energy level and a spirit that Orlando was playing with that the Suns could not reach and they were just they were grinding the whole time and Booker was grinding and, and everybody really was grinding and, and I, I we'll talk about Josh Kogi in a minute I I, I want to talk about the one of the main reasons why I think they won that game last night and that was the juice the campaign brought to that game I mean it was obvious from the minute he stepped on the floor even when he wasn't doing things well he just played with an energy and a passion and a spirit and it worked his shots were falling that play he made at the end of the first quarter I thought was the lift the team needed and I thought they were able to ride his energy in the moments that he was in the game because there just was not a lot of juice out there on the floor last night for the Suns I thought campaign really brought it yeah he did 7 to 12 from the field 3 of 5 from deep 18 points 5 assists you're exactly right I thought the same thing you know when he had that big play when he got when he when he hit it at the buzzer and got fouled you're like wow that's a that was a huge play right there but overall uh, I thought campaign you know, especially in that third quarter, it was some big. He had a big three pointer to put him up ten. He had a step back uh, to make it eighty eight seventy eight. He had a driving basket. Uh, he played extremely well, and it was good to see. You know, they put a lot of faith and a lot of confidence in him, and they've kind of you know they've they've rode with that. And we've talked about that they need to go get a point guard. Should they have gotten uh, Goran Dragic? Should they have gotten Reggie Jackson? Should they have gotten somebody? But man, they do have faith in Cameron Payne. And we talked to James Jones the other day about it with him just trying to shake off all the rust that he's had, and uh, he, he did last night. That was the best we've seen out of campaign so far this season. 18 points, as you mentioned in that game, 5 assists. He was 3 of 5 from distance. He was 7 of 12 from the floor. Back-to-back games where he has positively contributed. That's a good sign. Here's Monty after the game talking about his backup point guard. He's starting to get back to the campaign that we, we all you know, know and love and, and appreciate, and it takes guys a while. You know, he's, he's had some nagging injuries this this season and when you take that time off sometimes it can take you a minute to get going again especially playing a point guard position um and so he's starting to you know score the ball and, and pass his interior passing is is starting to pick up and then i thought he had a really nice find uh, to ish in the corner making a read his speed and and his juice um 
think it elevates our team. Because I tell you, and you mentioned it at the outset, and we both mentioned it in our notes to each other when we emailed this morning, that game was a grind. That, that game was, and in many ways, Orlando was the better basketball team last night in some respects. The, the fast break points, they were far more athletic. They're obviously much longer than the Suns are, and that was very evident last night. The points in the paint was a complete advantage for Orlando. They shot 50% from the floor. They struggled from three. They, they, they had a lot of turnovers. That didn't help either. But I thought Orlando really, I, I, to, to end that streak, it's, it's tougher than you think. And I think Orlando made it really tough on the Phoenix Suns. And we'll talk about this a little bit later. But really tough on Devin Booker last night. That was a grind for him a little bit too last night. I thought Orlando played a really good basketball game. I thought that, you know, the, there was some unsung heroes. You mentioned Cameron Payne. And everybody's talking about the block that Okoji had at the end of the game on Bonchero. But, man, I mean, you look at that You look at that fourth quarter. You know, when Okoji checked into the game, he, they, they brought him back. Orlando had just had a 9 nothing run. The score was tied at 101. Five minutes, 50 seconds left. They bring Okoji back, you know, into the game. There's Paul, Torrey, D.A., Book, and Okoji. Man, he had a, he had a back tap to Booker after Paul missed the three. He hit a corner three. He drew an offensive foul on Carter. He rebounded a miss by Booker. He deflected a pass from Banchero, forcing a turnover. And then he came out for Landale for rebounding purposes and then came back in and had the block shot. Like, I mean, man, he was huge in that fourth. In the final five minutes and 50 seconds, everybody's going to talk about the block shot. But Bernsey, man, he made five big plays in that game, not just the block shot. Yeah, and he it was another struggle for him from three last night. He was two for ten, but, but those other hustles plays and his drives to the rim I thought were really, really good and really essential to them. His three-point shooting the last, I don't know, 10 games or so, it's been really poor. He's really regressed, and last night he jacked up. I mean, really, the three-point shooting for the Suns was quite good. If you take a Kogi out, it was really good. He, he kind of skewed everybody's overall performances when it comes to a team standpoint. Here's a Kogi after the game loving the challenge of guarding the other team's best player. Yeah, I, I, I've been doing this since I got to the league. There's nothing new to me um you know and I, and I love the challenge you know I love the opportunity to go out there and guard Steph Curry go out there and guard Yana go out there and guard uh Ben Carroll friends friends Wagner all, all those guys um I think it's fun and uh, I'm always you know up to the challenge so for me it's just fun over his last 10 games, he is shooting 29% from distance, talking about Josh Okogie. 16 of 55. It's been a struggle yeah. for him. He did the, remember, he had, he had a really great February, but he has not had a really uh, great March. He's really struggled with that three. So for him to hit that big corner three in the fourth quarter gave the Suns a 104-101 lead. It ended a 9 nothing run by Orlando. That was big for him to be able to, to be counted on in that situation, come up with a big shot. I also I also got to figure this out. Are you allowed to untie somebody's shoes in the game? <laughs> like I just real like I really wanted to know that. I I heard EJ talking about that. Like, you know, Markel Fultz like untied Terrence Ross's shoes right before he went to the free throw line. Uh-huh. Yeah. And Terrence Ross just tied his shoes and went to the free throw line and hit two free throws. Let, let me counter your question with a question. Are yeah. you allowed to nominate yourself for employee of the month when somebody forgets to log themselves out of their email? 
Well, does anybody know about it? Well, you basically told everybody about it when you did it. So, yes, everybody knows about it. Are you allowed to do that? I did Seems win Employee me, of the Month one year. Yeah, and, they did, and, they and really did away the only reason it, you did was because you nominated yourself through Doug I Franz's did. email address when he forgot to log out of his computer. I forgot right? to log I, out, so yeah. I nominated myself for Employee of the Month. I said a lot of nice things about myself, and I ended up winning. Yeah, well, well mm-hmm. I think you just answered your own question. The weather is getting warmer. Arizona Sports and Fulton Homes are reminding you, two seconds. It's too long to take your eyes off your kids around water. So for life-saving water safety tips and to enter to win swim lessons from the YMCA, text SWIM to 620-620. Cardinals, plenty of options at number three in the NFL draft. What are some of the outcomes that exist for them on draft day or before draft day? We'll cover them next. Burns and Gambo. Burns and Gambo. Afternoons on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. All right, back here with you on the Burns and Gambo Show on this Friday. Hey, happy St. Patrick's Day to everybody out there. We will... Uh ASU basketball coming up tonight, 7 o'clock. They take on TCU. GCU scheduled to play at about 4.30 this afternoon. We'll keep you completely updated on everything going on in the tournament today, day two. But, of course, with the Arizona Cardinals, we're about a month or so, a month and a week away from the NFL draft. We'll see how far in advance of the draft the Cardinals, if they're going to do anything with that number three pick, if they're going to trade out, do they do it the day of, do they do it a couple days before? Did they do it a couple of weeks before? Obviously, with what the Bears did, and that was exactly one week ago today, Gambo. Obviously, with what the Bears did, it certainly put the Cardinals in a position where they don't have to wait if they don't want to. It kind of just depends on the team they're dealing with and what their level of belief and conviction is about the quarterbacks in this draft. It could happen yeah. before. We don't know. I, I think for a team to trade now, they would have to be... You know, to get up to number three and move past Indianapolis, you know, do you wonder if that's just for a certain guy? Now, if you get to three, I mean, it's pretty simple. You're going to have your choice between Richardson and Levis. Mm-hmm. So you'll have your choice between both of those guys. So, um, or you just love one of them more than the other. You know, then you could, you know, you could move up to that spot. I, mean, I, think, I think it's very possible now because I, I think it's pretty likely that the first two guys are C.J. Stroud and, and, uh, and the Bama kids. So I just... Bryce Young, I would imagine that, you know, you, you, now do you assume that those two guys are going one, two? I mean, what if you're moving up for Richardson and somehow somebody shocks the world and takes him in the top two? I was listening to you and I was thinking to myself kind of almost exactly the same thing, that it seems to me that if something were to happen now, it would have to be a team that loves three of them and hates the fourth, right? If we're talking about quarterbacks, like there's uh, there's three guys, if I get any of those three, I'm good. I love all of those guys. I think we're okay. The fourth I hate. Now, I don't know who the fourth is in this circumstance. Maybe it's Levis. Maybe it's Richardson. But I would think that's the appetite for doing it now is if you love three and you hate the fourth, move up now to make sure nobody else does to guarantee you that you will get one of the three quarterbacks in this draft you love. I, I don't know how unusual it would be for a team to love three and hate a fourth, but that, that seems to me that would be the motivation to do it now to make sure you lock in your spot and hold your reservation. Yeah. Yeah, you might. You also might say, hey, "Listen, we really love Richardson. If he's on the board at three, or Stroud's on the board at three, we'll move up. But if it's Young or if it's Levis, then we're not going to make the trade. Like you could, you know. I mean, that might be the case. You might not want Young, right? Certain teams don't may not want Young because of the size. You might not love. Le- so you might say, "Hey, I like these two guys. If one of them is on the board, but." I'm
but I don't know if you can just assume that it's going to go the way we think it is with Stroud and Young. It probably will, but you just never know. So I don't think you want to make a move and you know give up all these assets and, and, and the two guys that you love are gone and then you end up taking a quarterback who you don't love. So I think you almost have to know who the other two guys are, which may mean that it comes down to draft day. Potentially, yeah. Um, Bleacher Report did a story ranking, this is great. ranking the most likely scenarios for the Cardinals' number three pick in the 2023 draft. I, I'm going to count them backwards if I could. Okay, let's we'll go. Culminate with the last one. The fifth most likely scenario, in their opinion, is that the Lions leapfrog the Colts to land their franchise quarterback. And that Detroit, who is currently right now sitting with the sixth pick overall in the draft, they also have the 18th pick overall in the draft. The fifth most likely scenario is that they jump over Indianapolis and move to number three. Yeah. And they say Goff has only two years remaining on his current deal, but his contract has a built-in escape hatch after this year. So they could save $26.7 million and have only a $5 million dead cap hit if they release him next offseason. So if they traded... If they trade it up, and they do say that they, they currently own the 6th and 18th picks, but they probably wouldn't have to give up you know, the 18th pick. Um, they could trade up. The Cardinals move down to 6. They get a quarterback to sit for a year on the golf, and then that guy can become your quarterback in your release golf a year later. That does make a lot of sense. Yeah, I was just looking real quick to see. Here are the other picks Detroit has. They have 6, they have 18, and they have two second rounders as well. They have 48, they have 55, and they also have 81 in the third round. So they have five of the first 81 picks, including two second rounders. So for them to move up to number three, there's obviously a lot of inventory there the Cardinals could could choose from. Uh, outcome number four, the Titans make a big leap near the top of the draft. They would move up from number 11 to get the third pick overall. Yeah, I think being outside of the top 10 scares me a little bit, but Ryan Tannehill's contract is up after this season, and he's old. He's 34 now. He'll be 35 in July, and they're probably Probably not going to you know, give him a big contract after this year. So if they're able to move up, then they can you know, find themselves getting a quarterback to replace Tannehill. So again, I mean, an, another scenario where a team drafts, trades up, drafts a quarterback to sit for a year and then become the guy. And of course, there is a Monty Austin Fort connection between the Cardinals and the Titans, obviously, that has to be mentioned. This one's fascinating to me. The Falcons trading up to secure yet another quarterback. The Falcons just this signed Taylor. Heineke writes and and wondering, you know, between Desmond Ritter and Taylor Heineke, whether the Falcons are in fact set at quarterback or whether they are in fact looking for another quarterback. Yeah, this is interesting. I even read a story that was on uh, NFLanalyst.net uh, and it said the Fal- Falcons-Cardinals trade shakes up the top of the, the draft. And they basically talked about how Atlanta spent a lot of money upgrading their defense. They've done a lot of good things. Talked about all the players that they've signed. And says right now the plan is for Heineke to be the backup to Ritter. And it just says, you know, Ritter's had a good start, but he was like a high draft pick or anything. So they've got, uh, they've got a scenario where they suggest Atlanta sends picks number 8 and 44 along with a first-round pick next year and Ritter to the Cardinals in exchange for the number 3 overall pick. Wow. That would guarantee the Falcons get either Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, or Anthony Richardson. Let me say it again. Atlanta gives up number 8 and number 44, along with a first-round pick next year, and Ritter to move up the five spots to get number 3. Now, that seems like a pretty high price to pay. Yes, it does. 
Yes, it, it does, does. But that was on NFLanalysis.net. It's you know, and they basically said to move up to get one of those guys is what you would have to do. But they also have Ritter coming back to Arizona, which is pretty interesting. Yeah, that is uh, option number two. And again, this is least likely to most likely. Cardinal stand pat. Take the top defender, Will Anderson, at the position. That's the second most likely outcome, according to Bleacher Report. Go ahead. I, I, and I would tip my cap to, to to Michael Bidwell because I know the the, the expense that that would take to stay in. And, and take that pick with the amount of money that would have to go and signing bonus and guaranteed money and all of that stuff, that's pretty hefty. Number one is the dream scenario. Cardinals, Colts, swap. Cardinals move down one spot. Number four, take Will Anderson. Colts move up, take a quarterback. It is still, I agree, it's the most likely. It's the most desirable. You're not going to get a huge haul to go back one spot, but you're still going to get a potentially franchise-changing player, and you're going to get a pick that will be extra compared to what you have. Another day two pick. I think this is still the best case scenario for the Arizona Cardinals by far. Yeah, I, I th- you know, and, and they mentioned that the Colts could stand pat at four and still land their preferred quarterback after Ryan Richardson or Levis, but they do say, listen, if you really want to get the guy you like more, it's kind of worth it to just, you don't have to give up a lot to move up that one spot. So that's what they're saying. Like, okay, you could stay where you're at and get one of the two. But if you really like one of them more than the other, man, move up one spot. Make sure you get your guy. And that the Cardinals could bluff. The Cardinals could say, hey, we're talking to Seattle, Detroit. We're talking to Atlanta. We're talking to Tennessee. And then you might have to worry that the Cardinals would trade that pick. And then the guy you like more is gone. When we come back on the Burns and Gambo show, he's got a new face of the franchise with a brand new contract. What does Diamondbacks manager Troy Lovello expect from Corbin Carroll moving forward? Our exclusive conversation coming up. Burns and Gambo. Your exclusive home of the D-backs. Diamondbacks. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. D-backs manager Tori Lovello joins Burns and Gambo to talk D-backs baseball. Welcome back to the Burns and Gambo Show here on the flagship home of the Arizona Diamondbacks, Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Of course, opening day, just a couple of weeks away for the Diamondbacks. Still a couple of I's to dot and T's to cross. And joining us right now, the manager of the Diamondbacks, Tori Lovello, for his weekly visit with us here on Burns and Gambo. Tori, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, guys. How are you? Good, good. Skip, let me start with this. The, the, the World Baseball Classic, because we, we saw a major injury with Edwin Diaz going down. Um, you know, the Mets have a lot invested with Verlander and Scherzer to try to win it all this year. And, you know, their big-time expensive clothes are probably gone for the year now. The risks involved with, with having your players, and you've got some, playing in the World Baseball Classic. How do you manage that? Yeah, it's a fair ask. Um, you hate, first of all, you hate to see Diaz going down uh, and missing the year as a freak injury, and we, we we're sorry that it happened. But I think anytime you go out there and compete between the white lines, anytime you're you're exposing yourself uh, in in something that you feel good at doing, which is you know going out between the white lines and performing, you're going to put yourself at risk. And everybody knows that, and they sign up for it. Um, you know, when we when we talk to these these players, when they tell us of their interests. Um, Mike and company has never blocked it. He he says, you know, proudly go out there and represent your country. Just make sure you're in shape. Make sure that things are okay. And if they're not, that's when we would intervene. But we felt like all the athletes that we sent off were ready to go, ready to compete at a high level. And look, we saw what happened to Corbin Martin the other day. There's things you cannot prevent. It doesn't matter where you're throwing a baseball, whether it's on a WBC field, whether it's on field two here, or whether it's in a, in a big league spring training game. You, you're, you're exposing yourself to that, le- that level of injury because you're going out and you're being a competitor. So 
at the end of the day, we hate that it happened, but we know it's a possibility. You don't. Uh, con- go ahead, Gamble. Okay, I'm sorry. Go, go ahead. ahead. Okay, no, I'll, I'll go ahead. You, you can't control it, but as you mentioned, you can manage it. And I'm, I think I read somewhere with Cattell, he played a couple of innings at center field. And, and did you guys have to kindly ask the Dominican, maybe not so kindly, ask the Dominican Republic not to play him in center field because that did not match up with your wishes as an organization? Yeah, we did that. We did that. Um, you know, we saw the Catellan play center field, and and um, uh, you know, Nelson Cruz and, and uh, Rodney Linares graciously accepted the phone call, and you know, I explained to them that it wasn't what we wanted Cattell to do. He hadn't played the outfield in over a year. Uh, we hadn't trained him or drilled him in, in that situation or in that position. Not one second of any of our days in spring training. Uh, so I just, you know, I asked them if they wouldn't mind putting him back at second base and circled back to it a couple times to make sure that the message was loud and clear. And, and Rodney decided that, you know, the, the call was, just, you know, was, was perfectly timed. He accepted it and he got him into second base and tell played a couple games. But of course, we're always mindful of what's going on and we're watching. We watch every play, every inning of what's going on with these guys to make sure they're doing okay. Uh, let's talk about the health of your team. A big blow, Mark Melanson. Had a rough year last year, but looks like he's going to miss some serious time with that shoulder injury, likely to start on a 60-day IL. And then Corbin Martin, what's what's the update on his status? Yeah, um, you know, in both cases, uh, we're talking we're – talking months instead of weeks uh, missed. And, uh, we, we hate that that's happened. Um, uh, Mark has a subscap strain um, and that's gonna, he got a PRP injection yesterday and that's going to take some time to heal and get that range of motion. But no, he, I talked to him yesterday and he said he feels good. He, he's glad that it happened this time. He wants to continue pitching and he's going to work hard to get back as soon as possible. With Corbin Martin, we're still hunting the second opinions, uh, but there's, there's, a, there's a, a tear, there's a lot tear there. There. Um, and you know that's the original opinion. We got to get more opinions, and uh, very unfortunate for him, you know. And what I told him on the phone yesterday is that he was out there competing at a high level, which is what I got done telling you guys. So there's no shame in what he did. He got hurt doing something that he prepared to do for a long time. And he was, he was doing it at a very high level. He just got hurt. He got injured. Couldn't prevent that. So once again, it's going to get, we're going to get that second opinion, but no matter what, we feel like it's going to be a a long road to recovery and he'll get back out there as soon as possible. Well, the one thing about the 60 day IL, it, it, it would open up a roster spot for you, especially with Melanson. You know, you've had good competition so far, especially in the bullpen. So who could benefit the most from having that extra roster spot open? Yeah, I'd hate to I'd hate to pull somebody out of uh, in this conversation. And say it's just one guy, but because there's a lot of guys that are competing. What it's done is it basically opened up two spots because Corbin was throwing the ball at a very high level, and when I was was counting up the guys that I was thinking about breaking camp with, he was one of them. So for me, it's one possibly two positions and positions in the bullpen. And what it means is it's time for somebody to step up. I'm looking for people to go out there and execute at a high level, get out and say, "Here's my chance. Here's my opportunity." By blocking out everything other than going out to do the best they possibly can. We have some unbelievable candidates in camp, some guys that are throwing the ball well. But I don't want them to say, look, it's, I've got this team made. I want them to go out there and earn it. It's way too early. You know, everybody's asking me who's going to fit in the bullpen, who's going to be that fifth starter. It's still way too early. I don't know. There, there's a lot of really good candidates. Guys have had some really good moments, have not, not so good moments. So 
I want guys to step on it. This is their time. This is their opportunity to go out there and earn uh, this this opportunity. Troy Lavello, our guest here on the Burns and Gambo Show. You caught me red-handed because I was just about to ask you a very similar question to the one that you just answered, <laughs> but I, I kind of want to phrase it a different way. Was it your plan with a couple weeks away before the regular season to have a closer by committee approach to start the year, or are you hoping or were you hoping for one specific guy to be that guy for you when the season starts in a couple of weeks? Yeah, I think traditionally what we've done is we sign certain names, such as Fernando Rodney, Brad Boxford, or Brad Hall, and we, we traditionally signed them into that last inning, and they were brought here to close out games, and that's what they were expected to do. And in a certain way, Mark Melanson, too. He, he led the league in, in saves uh, in 2021. So, um, it, you know, we've had that guy walk into camp, but I think the near normal today is these, these guys just get the baseball and pitch where they're at. So I'm going to be fluid with this answer. I don't know what I'm going to do, but somebody was going to emerge in that, in that ninth inning and it matches up. Of course, I'm going to consider it, but I just want outs. I want an out in the sixth could be just as important an out as an out in the ninth, but I know everything is amplified in that ninth inning. So somebody might take it. I don't know, but for right now, I don't know who it is or where we are with that, but time will tell. Once again, I want guys to go out there and, and pitch and perform. They're going to tell us what guys should be doing um, at the back end of games. We'll probably have some, some positive role guys and some negative role guys they'll know that role and then we'll close it up that way Tori Lavello our guest here on the Burns and Gambo show uh, knowing that it's still fluid and knowing that there are no answers yet Brandon Fott's performance yesterday against the Cubs among those young starters that you've got so many of that you're kind of looking at and trying to figure out was that a significant moment for him was that a significant outing for him against the Cubs yeah, we all certainly took notice, and I don't want to downplay what he did. There was great carry to his fastball. Um, after his first inning, he started he started to land his breaking ball, and everything looked sharp from my angles. Uh, but you know, once again, we've got to continue to evaluate a lot of guys that are that are fighting for that last spot. So Brandon Fod is is in a great spot right now, and he's throwing the ball extremely well. So um, you know, there, there's a lot of entries in that in in that in that post right now. Um, so we got we got to find out. Who, who, where, and and how it's going to happen? We just haven't finalized that. We have a lot of really good arms that are that are fighting for that spot right now. Um, it's just too early for me to tell, but I certainly took notice of what Brandon did yesterday. I've got to ask you about Corbin Carroll, a, a tremendous young player in your organization. It's going to be here for a long time. You guys lock him up eight years, one hundred eleven million dollars, and you know you see what Tampa's done. You, you you see what the Braves have done. You you watch what Seattle done. It does seem like. You know, the middle to lower market teams like you guys are, you've kind of got ahead of the curve. You got to get ahead of the curve. You can't wait till these guys hit free agency and then probably lose them to bigger market clubs. This is the new way of doing business, isn't it? I think so. Um, I think the Cleveland Indians had this model um, well before anybody else, way back in the 90s, right? Um, that they were signing these young players a long-term deals. And we have one in our clubhouse right now, and Evan Longoria, that the Rays locked up after, I think, just, just with a year of service time. So our front office is unbelievable. They're smart and really smart. They they probably broke it down, and they, they figured out you know what the formula was and made a very fair offer to Corbin, and Corbin obviously accepted it. The thing that, the, the statement that was 
was made is is that um, you know there's a commitment here. There's a commitment to somebody that understands what it means to be an Arizona Diamondback. It's also a very good baseball player, but there's more to this contract than him just going out and performing at a high level. We love that. He exemplifies everything that we want a young man to to be on a daily basis, and he's a learner. He cares about the right things, and you know, as Brent Strom said, when they started doing this in in uh, in Houston, it started to lift the boat, and we feel like this is the right situation for the right player, and it's going to set a set a standard for what we expect to get done here in the, in the uh, coming years. I think it'll motivate other players too to see the Diamondbacks taking care of their own, because other players will mm-hmm. want to put themselves in that position too. But I do want to ask you: Does this does the pressure when you, you know the more money you make, there's usually more pressure on players? Is he mm-hmm. is, is he does he have leadership capabilities, and do you feel that that big contract will put more pressure on him? Yeah, Naley is a very quiet guy, um, but he leads by an unbelievable example and work ethic. So that was one of my big concerns, Gambo. I, when when we called him in to congratulate him, I said, "Look, you don't uh, you don't have to justify this contract. Well, you just need to be yourself and go out there and be the exact same person every single day, and things will take care of themselves." He has a very unique ability to block out the noise, and he has a great desire to be uh, a top player by working hard and going out and performing. So I, he promised me that he wouldn't change his mindset that got him to this point. It won't. I know that. I believe in him. And I believe in the, the person. But, yeah, I think for a couple of days he probably was wondering what else he had to do. Really, the answer is nothing. He just has to be himself and go out and perform every single day. Thanks, Tori, for the time as always. We appreciate it. We'll talk soon, okay? Okay, boys. Talk to you soon. Story Thanks, joining us here on the Arizona Sports Line. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Text the word Valley to 620-620. Become a Suns insider. Get all the latest and breaking news on the Suns and their quest for an NBA championship. Again, text the word Valley to 620-620. So, how much of a chance does ASU have tonight against TCU? Tournament talk is next. Burns and Gambo. <laughs> the Burns and Gambo need to know. Twitter poll presented by Sanderson Ford. All right, we've got two of them today, both tournament-related. Let's turn it over to Eric Ruby, see what we got today as we're hours away from ASU-TCU and just a couple of hours away from GCU and Gonzaga. Rubes, what you got for us today? Big day for college men's hoops in the Valley. We've got two questions, the first one being, what happens to both of those teams tonight? Does ASU win and GCU loses? Does GCU win and ASU loses? Do they both win or do they both lose? This is Arizona. (laughs) (laughs) If we need the reminder. (laughs) They... They both lose. They both lose. They both lose. You guys think that's a leader? Yeah. Uh, Do I think that's the leader? Yeah. No, I think a bunch of Sun Devil fans have responded to the Twitter poll, and they think that ASU is going to win and GCU is going to lose. It's relatively close. You are right, though. 43.2% are going with that option. ASU winning, GCU losing. 34.8%, however, in second place say they both lose. 17% say they both win. 5.3% say GCU wins, ASU loses. Wouldn't that be something? So, our next question, courtesy of the brain of John Gambadoro. If ASU men's basketball does win against TC, you tonight have they had a better season than U of A? Yes, no, or they already had a better season than U of A? <laughs> I love this. I do love this question. Um, man, Arizona did win the Pac 12 championship. You, come on, you've got you're so biased on this one. Come on, 
You are very biased on this one. They did. I, I mean, ASU would have gone further in the NCAA tournament. Yes, which is typically the thing that matters the most. I think you. I think you got to get to like the Sweet Sixteen in order to have a better season. If they got to the Sweet Sixteen, I would agree they had a better season. I think if ASU wins tonight, they've had a better season. Okay. I, and, and I and I I'm tempted to say they've already had a better season because ASU has had such a disappointing season. But I'll uh, in in the fairness to the question, I'll, I'll say if ASU wins tonight. They've had a better season than U of A because that is an extremely disappointing end of the season. Yeah, nobody's arguing that ASU's better than U of A, but just looking at it on paper, you lose as a 2 to a 15, that's not a good season. And 78% of people agree that if ASU men's basketball pulls off a win over TCU tonight, they did have a better season than U of A. 17% say no. Only 5% think they already had a better one. So it all depends on tonight, according to the poll. All right, that game starts... 7 o'clock, a little after 7 o'clock, depending on the games in front of it in its in its pod. We'll have it here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader, GCU Gonzaga. I think I read that it's a 4.30 start or so. These are kind of moving targets, so we'll see. So both uh, teams from the state of Arizona that's left in this thing both tip off tonight, so it'll be something to keep an eye on. Let's preview ASU-TCU for a bit. Because um, if ASU is to advance to the round of 32 for the first time in the Bobby Hurley era, it's going to take beating a TCU team that loves to get out and run, loves to force turnovers, real up-tempo kind of thing here, Gambo. They do not shoot the three-ball well. They have as of late, but their season averages, I think they're, what, 30%, 31% from three this year? That would seem to be the soft spot to the Horned Frogs going into the tourney. No, I think their strength is they like to get out and transition and run. So they're very dangerous offensively like that. So they're going to get out. They're going to run. They're going to push the tempo. Uh, ASU's pretty good, though, at that. Like, they, they pressure defense in your face, on the ball, uh, pressuring full court. I mean, ASU's coming off of, you know, the best game they, they've played in maybe a long, long, long time. Uh, and two of the better games with the USC win and then the Nevada win. Uh, but TCU, number one fast-break offense in the country. 18 points per game in transition. So they like to get the ball, force a turnover and run, grab a rebound and run. So that's what ASU's got to be ready for. they got to be ready to run. Jamie Dixon's the coach over there, the former pit coach. So Jamie Dixon, you know, he's had a lot of success. He's a good, he's a good basketball coach, and he likes to get that team out in transition, running, getting up and down the full floor and putting pressure on you that way. Yeah, ASU, they turn the ball – According to uh, DevilsDigest.com, about 12 times per game, a little less than 12 times per game. That's going to have to remain the case tonight, obviously, for a team that likes to force a bunch of turnovers. Mike Miles is the star player for TCU, their star point guard. He kind of leads that stretch where they get out and get up and run. Both teams are very, very good defensively. Uh, That's something that TCU really brings to the table as well. Number 21 in the Ken Palm adjusted defensive efficiency. Both teams are in the top 30. I think 35 in that particular stat, so they're both very good there. Something else ASU could benefit from, and that's their bench production. How good they were the other night against uh, in the win against uh, Nevada. How good they've been recently in their win.
wins. Jemiah Neal, Alonzo Gaffney, Luther Muhammad, if they can continue to produce at a decent enough level, ASU, that tends to be one of the barometers for their success. If they're getting good contributions off the bench, typically ASU has been able to translate that into wins. Now, we have not heard, unless somebody has and I've missed it, about Austin Nunez and whether he's going to play tonight. I, I has don't, there been any update? I have not seen one. I, I don't know if there's an update on his status for tonight's I game. find it, out real quick. It, it, if you could, that'd be great because that would be a big addition if they were able to get him back for tonight's game. He's coming out of the concussion protocol. There was some speculation he might be ready for this game, so we'll see. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the other thing, I think Warren Washington, I understand the bench, and I agree with you, the bench has to play well. I think another key is Warren Washington, because TCU really attacks the paint. They're fifth in the country in percentage of shots taken at the rim. They take about 47% of their shots at the rim. So that's an area where you really got to, you know, Warren Washington's going to, he's a guy that gets, you know, averages 1.7 block per game. Um, he's the biggest guy they have as a seven-footer. He's going to be key to that because they like to go inside. They get to the free throw line, but they lo- they love to get it, get in transition and score, and they love to score at the rim. So I think this could be a big game for Warren Washington. All right, games going on right now in the tournaments. Uh, Pitt is clobbering Iowa State, fifty six thirty five. That game's got a, about a minute and a half left. Pittsburgh's going to advance and upset, if you will, the six seed Iowa State. Well, I Great, if I have that one. Uh, you, you have Pittsburgh winning. I'm going to see if I do. I'm looking oh, okay. right now. Creighton is beating NC State by eight. I have pit. I have pit, yeah. You have pit? Okay. You're going to get that one. I took one. a big loss yesterday with A&M. Yes, you did. You had A&M going very far, didn't you? I had them in the... Elite Eight Ooh, against Houston. You lost an Elite Eight team. That's tough. I got two Elite Eight teams gone. Uh, Creighton is beating NC State by eight, as I mentioned. Iona has a two-point lead over fourth-seeded UConn at the half there. Really? Yeah. Rick wow. Pitino over Hurley's brother by two uh, at halftime there in that game. And then games that went to a final today, top-seed Michigan State beat USC. Fifth-seed St. Mary's beat 12-seed VCU. Third-seed Xavier hangs on against Kennesaw State. They were losing a big chunk of that game, but they end up winning by five. Baylor advanced the three seed over the 14th seeded Gauchos of UC Santa Barbara by by 18. Second seeded Marquette by 17 over 15 seed Vermont. So a mostly chalky day so far. Some flirtations with some upsets, some, some potential upsets going on right now. We'll keep you updated on the tournament when we come back on the Burns and Gambo right. show. I'll oh, give yeah, you a ahead. quick update yeah, real, quick. real quick. He's going to dress for the game. Nunez will dress for the game, but not sure if he's going to play or not. Okay. Good. He hasn't played in a month. His conditioning might be an issue, but he will dress for the game. That could be a big addition for them if he's able to play. We'll see. When we come back, Suns got the much-needed win last night. There is still room to improve. Where does that improvement need to be? Our Suns guru, Kellen Olson, next. Burns and Gambo.